Hello and welcome to the Emotion at Work podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition and today's episode is looking at emotion at work and language and meaning which is a bit of a theme for the podcast recently. We've had, uh, I think this is the fourth um, podcast where, where we're looking at language and we're taking again a slightly different um, perspective and look at it. Um, and, and I've had a bit of a bee in my bonnet for a while now about the notion of clean language. I, I first heard about it when I did my NRP practitioner course and um, and as a coach um it's something I hear other coaches or I hear at coaching conferences where people talk about clean language and and it bothers me because I don't think language can ever really be clean um because you know from my point of view every uh, any type of communication has has meaning even silence will have meaning so um yeah, I was really interested in that topic. So before we get into that, though, let's um, welcome our guest to the podcast. So our guest this week is Judy Rees. Hello, Judy. Hello. How are you? I, I'm excellent, thank you. Good, good. So um, Judy and I met online, um, and we haven't actually met in real life yet. We've had a couple of conversations both online and then um, over sort of Skype. Um, because, uh, and I picked up... Um, connection with Judy because she was talking about clean language and I've already said in in my little bit of earlier introduction that I don't buy it really so I decided rather than be judgmental and just go clean language is a load of rubbish that um, I'd see if I can have a chat with somebody who talks about clean language to find out more about it because it might be that whilst I think it's a load of tosh I might be misunderstanding it or misrepresenting it or others may be misrepresenting it and I'm kind of um, not giving it a fair crack of the whip so I made contact with Judy and then we um, we had a chat and during that conversation that we had uh, I thought you know what this will make a really really interesting podcast so we then put a date in the diary to um to record so does that give a fair summary of, of how we've kind of met each other and interacted so far Judy? It does and uh, yes the, the the sense of it's all a load of tosh I think is actually something we connected on that uh, basically we both think clean language is a load of tosh or the idea of clean language uh, some people represent it is a bit of a load of tosh Yes. Uh, yeah. So that, that, yes, that I agree. And I think it's that spectrum of, um, you know, uh, I, I can't believe I'm about to introduce a toshiness spectrum, um, but, <laughs> but, but kind of, uh, you know, what, what, what is there behind it? I think is the bit that, that I found really interesting about a conversation last time. And again, that I'd like to explore today. Um, so the, the, the format of this podcast changes from, from one episode to the next. So, um, our listeners will know that I like to play with the format a little bit. So at least to start with on the podcast, I'm going to have, I'm going to hand the hosting duties over to you, Judy, because what I thought would be useful is rather than talk about clean language in an abstract way, um, we could see if we could create some uh, part of a conversation that we could then use to unpick this notion of clean language around. So uh, in advance of the podcast, I asked Judy to kind of prepare a couple of questions for me um, that she can ask me at the start of the podcast and we can use um, my responses and my thinking as a way of unpicking, um, use that as a a basis to unpick clean language around. Um, So I have no idea what's coming next. I don't know what Judy's going to ask me. So I am both a mix of kind of excitement and slightly anxious um so i will hand the reins over to you then judy for you to uh, for you to pick up from here thank you well um before i dive into asking you those questions i think there might be one little tiny piece we need to do for some listeners because some okay. listeners can't bear to go on without knowing what clean language is okay at one level and when we say clean language do you just mean not swearing <laughs> the little tiny piece of dis- disambiguation that I usually put in at the beginning. Okay. The clean language that I'm talking about is not not swearing, 
it's not the software language clean and it's not quite the NLP idea of clean. Okay. It's related to it. It but what I'm talking about when I'm talking about clean language is a, an inquiry technique. It's a precision inquiry technique which was originally designed for for exploring the metaphors that underpin people's thinking and that drive their behavior. And that inquiry technique is used increasingly extensively in coaching in one-to-one conversations okay but it's also really good for helping teams and groups to work best together and that's mostly where i use it so that i just want to say that to give it a little tiny piece of a frame or else people uh, uh, get a bit lost with this whole thing is that okay yeah absolutely it is yeah absolutely uh, um, and I, I like the um, already. I'm I've just written down on my notes to say precision inquiry. I want to come back to that. That's a really interesting way of of, um, of, of positioning it. So no, that's good. Thank you. I think that was some some useful um, deambiguation. And I didn't have any idea that clean was a uh, a language um, uh, programming a, uh, approach either. I've only ever met one person who knows it. As, as a programming language, but it does exist as a programming language. Wow. Well, there you go. There's, there's my new thing for today. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So as an inquiry technique, it makes sense for, for me to ask you a few questions. So okay. let, let me start by asking you something that I would often ask um, in a team building session. I do lots of team building with this stuff. Okay. So I would ask all the members of a team this one question. When you are working at your best, you are like what? So people might be playing along with this at home. But for you, Phil, when you are working at your best, you are like what? Um... Hmm. So the uh, we, if I if I take the filter away, then so what I mean by that is a, a, a metaphor popped into my mind, and then I didn't like it, but then I couldn't find a better one, so we'll, we'll just go with that. So the metaphor that that came into mind was um, was a river. Mm-hmm. So and, and that's partly to do with flow. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I know there's there's kind of a, a notion or concept around flow in terms of being immersed in something where um, your time seems to your time seems to just not have any kind of um, not meaning, but you know there's no there's no notion or sense of time because you're yeah. Well, anyway, so let me put that one to one side. I'll come back to me. So, so it's partly to do with flow, being immersed in something that it can both have speed and have calm that it can be tumultuous and um still that it can be twisty and turny but it can be um fairly straight too so um but the uh it's about being in it and being um and 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 working with it so not being at it not being at its whim um and you're passively uh, moving it's about being in it and part of it and working really collaboratively with it to create movement i guess 
whether <laughs> that movement is necessarily for me that could be movement for other people but when I'm at my best it's when I am uh, immersed in whatever it is that whatever that activity is that I'm doing mm-hmm. so immersed in that activity and when you're immersed like that and the metaphor that came into your mind was a river and you yes. didn't like that when immersed when you're working at your best what kind of immersed is that immersed um what kind of immersed is that immersed so it's it's immersed to the extent that um i can feel what's happening around me mm-hmm. so excuse me i need to cough for a second <coughs> i have a bit of a cold um so i can feel what's happening around me and i can uh and i use that information to um I guess, navigate my way along with whatever it is that's happening. So sometimes that might be about um, swimming with the current or swimming against the current. Sometimes it might be just about lying on top and being still and just letting it take me. Um, Other times it might be where it's um, kind of head above the water, but other times it might be diving down to the bottom. So um, the the immersion is, is to do with every sense is um attuned to what's happening both around and within me so in terms of how how i'm feeling how 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 it feels for me how it feels for other people um uh, but there's also uh, there's also elements of looking back and looking forward so is it, it, it most of the time it's in 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 where i am right now in that river but there's also uh, occasions where there's a look up ahead to see what's coming, what you know, what's that, what's there, because that helps me be able to um, to navigate that. But also, you know, where where have I been? What's been before? So that that can because uh, that informs what's happening now as well. So if I can if I can be attuned to where we are with a reference point of where we've been and where we're going, then that equips me most effectively to deal with whatever follows mm-hmm. and attuned to where you are yes like that and when you are attuned like that what kind of attuned is that attuned when you're attuned to where you are um so it, it's uh, i find it hard to articulate sometimes because it's it's about being wholly in it, but also slightly um, detached. Mm-hmm. So it's be, it's being. Um, so I, I guess I come back to something I said earlier on, where so there's one thing which is about being aware of what's happening around me, and then just letting that take me somewhere. So I could, you know, think right, I. The, it, the it, I, I'm I'm drawn to go this way or that way or to do this or to do that. So that's that's what's you know what's happening around me draws me to do that. Um, but that's that's almost constantly held with a um, with a curiosity of why do you want to do that? Is that the right thing for now? Is to you know to what extent is that going to help you 
get to where where it is you, you or, or this situation wants you to get so it's not it's that it, for me that's the distinction between being passive and being active in it so it's not passively just allowing it to take you wherever it takes you it's yes being wholly in it and feeling it and understanding what's happening but then making very deliberate choices around how how to work with that now the choice if there, there might be a choice to let it go and to just to go and to go with it but there might be another choice to say actually no i'm not i'm not i don't want to go there yet we're going to hold where we are for now we're going to stand our ground for a moment because we need to stand our ground and then we're, we're going to hold it here see what happens if we continue to hold it here see how long we can hold it for and and again knowing why we're holding it and what the intent is and the purpose is and those sorts of things but it's that it's that balance between um, being wholly aware of what's happening but that um yeah i guess countered for the better phrase with um the uh deliberate and purposefulness of the of the choices that we make around it mm-hmm. so it's that balance between yes. wholly aware and that deliberate choices like that whereabouts is that balance I don't know. I don't know because I've never been asked that question before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's in it's in me, I think. But I'm not willing or able, and I don't know which one of those it is, to mm-hmm. uh, to to give it a more specific locale than that. So it's in you, but you're not willing or able to give it a more specific locale than that. Yeah. So because you know it, it's not in my it's because I, I, I can't say it's in my head, and I can't say it's in my gut, and I can't mm-hmm. say it's in my heart or my chest, or I, I, I because because it's it's in all of those places and none of those places if that which doesn't make any sense but um yeah and because it's not about intuition either because Mm -hmm. sometimes because sometimes my intuition will say go here my intuition is telling me to 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 go or to stop or Mm -hmm. um but then i again i i I look to to validate what my intuition tells me with what data and, and this is i guess getting into something slightly different in terms of so if, if my intuition is to say right let it go and move um then another part of me will say okay so what's the data to support the moving is the right thing now mm-hmm. so so you you chose to hold here for a reason you, cho- you chose to hold here for these for these reasons to what extent have those reasons either been negated or addressed and therefore we're going to move so if I put that into a coaching scenario, if I'm working with a client and 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 there's a question that I've asked, I guess in a way, I'm, I'm going meta now, so I guess in a way similar to the question you've just asked me about where is it that they're really struggling with, my intuition might say, I feel uncomfortable with their discomfort. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're uncomfortable at the moment, I feel uncomfortable about that, so my intuition says move it on, but then another part of me might say, well, actually, there's a reason why you're you ask that question there's a reason why this bit is important so no we're going to hold for we're going to hold for longer and let it be even though they're uncomfortable and you're uncomfortable you're still going to hold it anyway and the balance 
is not in your head or your heart or your gut or your chest. It's sort of all of those places and none of them. And your intuition, whereabouts is your intuition? Um, again, it's, it's similar in that it's in all of those places, but none. So it's, it's it, again, it's within me, but it's, it, 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 um, and it's really interesting because the thought went through the thought went through my head just then was, um, uh, I had a feeling of being under pressure to, to say my gut. Mm-hmm. So, um, I I I, t- I interpreted your question to be um, you putting pressure on me to uh, say that, that that's where it, to, to situate it somewhere to situate it in my gut, um, and and my long pause was because I was checking myself then to go okay well why a why it's interesting that you've got that meaning b um, is it there and c are you saying it's not there just because you're trying to be awkward. Um, and I answered all those questions to say, actually, no, I'm not trying to be awkward. And um, it is, it's the same answer that I've given before in terms of it is in all those places, but none of those places. So it's, I, uh, I, I, can't, I can't put a pin in it to say that's where it is. And that process that just happened, is that the same or different to the process you described a moment ago about the relationship between intuition and balance? Uh, so it's very similar. So it's yes. So very, very. Uh, is it the same? Uh, I don't know. I wasn't willing to say it was the same. Again, because I, I think I hadn't thought about it in that way. But yes, it, it's uh, yes. It's very similar to to that process because it's the so something somewhere inside me chose to hear it as what I just said. I heard it as, um, and then another part of me was like, oh, can hang on a minute though. That because is there. Yeah, yeah. So, so yes, it's similar. Mm-hmm. So there's that balance. There's that intuition. There's that process. And when you're immersed in your work, every sense is attuned. And there's that um, balance between the wholly aware of what's happening and that deliberate seeking the data and all of that. And all of that. Is there anything else about you when you're working at your best and all of that? So, so, uh, so yes, and and uh, and there's a lot of love in there because I love what I do. So, uh, you know, there's uh, so we and, and that is a because and I, and I choose that word deliberately because um, it's not about joy. So there is a lot of joy in what I do, but it's not just about joy. So I, I, uh, yes, I enjoy a lot of what I do, but I also love what I do because what I do can get me scared and get me cross and get me annoyed and get me offended and get me contemptuous at times, actually. Um, but um, I love what I do because love incorporates all of those things. It's not just about joy. Love isn't just about being happy, in my humble view. Um I love what I do because of the ways that um, it affects me, how it makes me feel, what it makes me think, um, and all of those things that go with it. Mm -hmm. And when all of that, 
what difference does having explored all of that make? So it's made me, so it's been interesting to make me think about um, how do I articulate it? Because I because ha- uh, I, I haven't articulated it like that before, so that's interesting. Um, it's helpful in that um, it's got me considering where are things situated. Do I want to situate things? So I'm saying I can't put a pin in something. It's here, but it's not here. Um, so it's got me thinking, is that something that I want to do? Um, right now, I'm not sure if it is, but it's an interesting thought process to have. Um, and it's and I've enjoyed the self-reflection on the meaning that I'm getting from the questions that you ask. And I guess that part of that is with 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 the knowledge of uh, where the conversation is going to go <laughs> in the future within this podcast as well. So there's like a there's a there's a there's there's a momentary and meta analysis thing that are going on together at the same time. Thank you. So is that a good place to hand the chair back to you? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Okay. So. Um, there was lots of using my language within the questions that you asked. Is that uh, i I'm guessing that, sorry, no, try again, Phil. Uh, there was lots of questions, that, lots of my language that I use in the questions that you asked me. Is that a deliberate um, thing? Yes. So the clean language questions, which were devised by this bloke, David Grove, um, are basically a set of about a dozen questions which have spaces in them for the other person's words. So the question patterns are relatively rigid. So people might have heard that I probably only asked three, three, maybe four questions in the whole of that conversation. But each time they were different because they had different of your words dropped into them. Yeah. So that, that's what, that was one of the amazing things that David discovered that actually just a very small number of questions was enough to support somebody on, on making an inquiry in that into their own internal workings. Um, the, the two most common questions, which are the ones I use most of the time are what kind of X where X represents some of your words, or is there anything else about X? And that's pretty much all you do with clean language it's it is at one level incredibly simple just a small number of questions the other person's words jobs are good and and as a as a practitioner um when you when you when you i guess when you when you studied um david graves work or when you started doing that how, how did you feel about that and there's an agenda behind my question, which I'll share in a minute. Well, for me, it seemed absolutely natural because my, my professional background was I was a news reporter. Oh, okay. And I was the kind of news reporter who'd been trained that everybody else has a story. It's your job to find it and tell, help them to tell it. Um, I'm not the kind of uh, news reporter you see on TV whose who's main role is to be a personality. Um, okay. In, in the tradition that I was taught, the reporter should be as invisible as possible. 
So for me, it seemed very natural and very comfortable as a concept, but it took what I already did and magnified it hugely. I thought I was already being clean in the technical meaning of the word clean, saying that I was doing minimal influence, but actually what I realized was that I was influencing all over the place. Um, and that actually I could go a lot further and find, and, and the, the further I went into using their words, minimizing my words, the more I discovered, the more I learned. And that's when it got interesting. Because I, I, so the, the, I said there was an agenda behind my question and, and the agenda behind it is um, that I'm aware of a number of, um, that's not, no, that's not the right phrase. So I've worked with a number of people who pride themselves on their ability to craft a question. So almost, so the the um, the and having a massive question bank, you know, it's having a huge arsenal of questions at their at their disposal. And so the idea of only needing ten, I, I don't know where I got the number from. I can't remember if you said it earlier on, but the idea of only needing ten. Um, I could imagine being quite. They could. They could interpret that as quite threatening, quite challenging, as you know, rather than having this huge arsenal or armory of um, of questions to ask. Mm. And I think that that touches on on the, the sort of the heart of the purpose of clean language. It's an inquiry technique, and in the in the uh, in if you're working in a change context, so if you're wanting to help somebody to make changes in their life, for example, in a coaching context. Yeah. Um, traditionally, um, NLP coaches and various other kinds of coaching, the, the, the coach comes in with the powerful question, which completely reframes the situation and changes the way the other person thinks about the thing. That only works very, very occasionally. It actually, it's actually much more powerful to help the other person to understand it for themselves differently, um, which is a subtle distinction, but it's a really important distinction. So in NLP, you'll get things like uh, slate of mouth questions and meta model questions, the purpose of which is to undermine the client's um, sense of how the world is yeah. by introducing new content from the facilitator, from the coach. But actually, the underpinning assumption of clean language is that 99 times out of 100, that's not the bit that's needed. Particularly in these days of us having the internet at our fingertips, if more information or more perspectives on the same situation was going to change things, it would have changed it by now. What really is going to make the difference is something from inside the client shifting. Now that is potentially disempowering if if your entire professional career is built on amazing questions that completely yeah. tra- transform um, the client's world. But actually, if you're in that kind of mindset, you you may like to pay attention to how often those powerful questions actually work, what effect they actually have, rather than the effect mm. you wish they had. Hmm. 
Sorry, in my head, I'm now, um, I'm now searching my experiences of, of my coaching practice and going, huh, I wouldn't, you know, what, yeah. what's been the impacts on when I've tried to ask those, um, you know, context shattering questions. And I'm not denying that sometimes they work. Sometimes questions can be awesome. And sometimes clean language questions can be used in an unclean way where they actually do challenge the way someone's thinking about it. Um, in one of my learning groups online, we were, we were having a discussion at the moment about, uh, so if somebody, if the client says, um, I feel that people are judging me, is it or is it not a clean question to say, how many people could there be? Now, how many is technically a clean question? Um, it's, it's a specialized one. It's not one of the core 12, but it's one of the extended set of about 20. Okay. And the client has said there are multiple people in their internal world. I feel that people are judging me. So at one level, it's a perfectly reasonable and curious question to, oh, how many people could there be? But another level, that's effectively a meta-model question. It's an NLP meta-model question in which you're asking, you know, do you really mean that all people are judging you? Yes. Challenging that universal quantifier. So it's possible to use clean, clean language questions to be completely unclean and to try, to try and fix the client. Yeah. But David's big insight was that clients don't need fixing. If you can open a space, if you can allow with your listening and your attention to open them to have a space to do their best thinking, they can, their systems have the power to heal themselves. Mm. They don't need your magic wand. And, and, and I love that as a starting point. You know, I, I think I mentioned last time when we spoke before we start, you know, before we set the date for the podcast, uh, I mentioned Nancy Klein's work, and I'm a huge fan of of, of Nancy Klein's work. And, and the more we're discussing it, the more overlap I'm uh, I'm making. Whether that's a fair thing to do or not is another question. But the more overlap I'm making between her work and um, uh, and the work we're talking about here, so it's it's prompting me to to want to go and read more and and to um immerse myself in it more yeah i, th- I think that that's a, a great a great uh, place to pay attention because nancy's work is absolutely awesome and so there's a lot in nancy's work about providing space for people to talk yeah. um she says things like the quality of your attention determines the quality of another person's thinking yeah absolutely absolutely in the same kind of territory as clean where we diverge is in Nancy's concept of the incisive question. Yes. Which is absolutely the kind of question which you're talking about where the listener suddenly switches, switches role. And instead of just being curious says, right, I can frame, I can craft a question which is going to transform everything. David's idea was don't do that. You just, you don't need to do that. So can I can I go back to to the example for a second? So the the client um, was saying that um, people are judging me. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. 
So what? Um, and by and then so we talked about the question of how many people. Mm-hmm. So what would be an alternative then? So what would be an alternative clean question that you could ask? The 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 classic clean question, to in response to that statement would be, and when you feel people are judging you. What would you like to have happen? Okay. Um, now, at one level, that's a, a it's it's got a, a less clean intention than just curiosity. Yes, true. For most people, most of the time, it's more useful to be paying attention to what they like than what they don't like, to resources and to outcomes, rather than to problems and uh, the general messiness of the past. Yeah, okay. Um, So most clean language coaches will use that attention switching question to help someone to look at what they would like instead. David Grove, on the other hand, um, didn't do that. He used to talk about being an equal information employer. And he thought that constant focus on outcomes was inappropriate, that people should actually keep this sense of curiosity and instead just ask another question that would take the person to the edge of what they already knew and uh, to find out something else that they didn't already know. So when you you could ask, Mm. so the, the original statement was, I feel people are judging me. David might ask, and when you feel people are judging you, when feel, whereabouts is feel? Okay. Because David was really, really interested in psychogeography, about the notion that people's thoughts and feelings and experience was entirely physically grounded. We're not disembodied brains in jars. We are human beings in bodies in relation to environments. And our thoughts are held in physical space one way or another. And because David was working with trauma, one of the things he wanted to do was get get his clients more into their bodies and less and out of their heads. Okay. Because in resolving trauma, typically um, it's a very visceral body reaction that needs to happen to to resolve traumatic conditions. Um, and are we are we talking physical trauma or psychological trauma or both? Both in in the cases that he was dealing with. Okay. So, so that so there are a bunch of alternative questions, and of course, you could just ask. And when you feel people are judging you, what kind of judging? Hmm. And what you can notice by having this very, very small question set, you know, you can go to some amazingly different places. Yeah, absolutely. Even though you've just got this small question set, the other person's words and an intention to be curious rather than to try and fix it. Because one of the other things I'm, I'm really interested in is, the, is the, the the world of kind of framing a metaphor, which I, I've put together as one, and actually they're two 
distinctly different things. <clears throat> and I was curious about how, because um, you know, there's me framing it as curiosity. So I was curious about um, the the way or ways that clean language would use those two things so i guess in a way if i'm understanding it correctly there can be some framing within it but the metaphor is about recycling or reflecting back depending on which 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 you want to use the metaphor that the 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 individual the client whether that be in a coaching or in a team setting it's it's using their metaphor um to encourage further exploration and and the frame can be where is that so the frame so the example if i'm understanding it correctly in the example you said just now around where is that um where is that judging um then your you the frame you're putting around it is that it has a physical place and it presupposes it has a physical place but the the thing that you're reflecting back is the is the metaphor that's been used is that is that a fair or accurate description mm, it, it's slightly con- complicated one because framing is itself a metaphor and can and means lots of different p- things to different people yeah okay um and every metaphor is unique to an individual and we share common frames within cultures so there's a whole bunch of different energies um, combined in that question. Um, when one is asking a clean language question, typically you're, you're looking to find out information as the facilitator, but much more importantly, to help the client find out what's happening for themselves. You're trying to impose as few frames, as few rigid, rigid structures as you can in order for them to have the maximum freedom of movement. But one of the things um, is that constraint inspires creativity. So when you ask a clean language question, you are directing attention with precision. You're not just vaguely going, oh, is there anything else about all of that? So which just really just enable just allows the client to carry on thinking the way they've always been thinking so if we we start off with i feel that people are judging me and you go oh is there anything else about that well no new thinking is going to emerge from that yeah okay yeah um but by directing the client's attention with pinpoint precision to is there anything else about those people then you 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 basically take the attention to a bit they haven't already paid attention to yeah okay david wants the attention taken to wanted the attention taken to just the edge of what they know now and not wildly beyond but just at the edge so in his way of seeing it Getting the answer, I don't know, to a question was not a disaster. It doesn't matter when the client says, oh, I don't know. I've never been asked that before. You're encouraging them to do new thinking. And even a small bit of new thinking is potentially 
making a change in the system. A lot, a lot of your listeners will be very much systems thinking. They'll, they'll, be, they'll have the idea that if, you know, everything within the system influences everything else, well, yeah. if you can change one piece, uh, lots of th other things might change. So a small change in thinking, expanding the thinking in one direction or another, might change a lot of things. So we, when we take the attention to what the person wants, to the intended outcome, or as an appreciative inquiry, take the attention to what's working, what's got yeah. going really well, that expands the, the frame of our thinking. We're discovering something new. So the whole space in which we think becomes larger, more things are then able to change and more connections can be made and all the rest of it. Um, so I've, I've gone off on a bit of a riff around framing. That's no, okay. But is, is that some kind of answer to your question? Yes, it is. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me, coughing again. Um, so it wasn't some kind of answer to my question. It was a, it was a, a thorough answer to my question. So thank you. Um, Hmm. And so the experience that I had then where I, I, I interpreted or the meaning I took from one of your questions was that you were forcing me to a particular place. Um, is that because I, so I, and I suppose I'm, I'm linking a few things together, which may be inappropriate for me to do. We talk about precision inquiry. And then if I if I think about that in the context of the discussion that we had, that precision made me uncomfortable and and it and it caused a, a reaction in me of I'm, I'm being i feel like i'm being told i have to situate this somewhere um is is that in your experience is that common mm. i think what this absolutely gets into the the nub of the conversation that brought us together in the first place mm. the idea that People can in, cannot influence each other is utter nonsense. Yeah. And the idea that when one person is asking another person very specific questions that they are not influencing is utter tosh. It's right up there on the toshness scale. Oh, on, the tosh, on the toshiness scale, yeah. <laughs> but what... Uh, uh, what I was doing, the way I understand what I was doing, is I yeah. was directing your attention with precision. It's like, you, you see those uh, big spotlights that are manually operated. You see them in pantomimes. And they, they chase the, the character around on the stage. Yeah. And there's, there's a bloke, typically a bloke, I've done it, it uh, can be done by a woman, typically a bloke up in the lighting gallery with that um, spotlight chasing the character around the stage. And all of a sudden, there'll be a little noise and the, the spotlight moves to a different part of the stage and the, the character has to run to follow the spotlight. That's what questions do. Mm. They take the person's attention, like the character on the stage, the attention is pulled hither and yon by questions. Which means that the... And, oh, and there's another little loop. Okay. What happens when you are asked a question? Your attention goes inside to seek the answer to the question. 
So whenever I ask a question, even if you've got no intention of answering it, your attention follows yes. the question. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and part of that is to do with um, you know, societal rules and norms that mean that mm. it's, it's, it's impolite. You know, so the, the amount of time it took me to give you the answer, I don't know. Mm. Um, because I, you know, I felt like I should give you an answer. And I think this is back to where you know where I felt that pressure to to situate it somewhere mm. because you know because it was a similar question that you'd asked in a slightly different way. Uh, there, there was a, a bit of social pressure that's put on myself to say you need to you need to situate this somewhere because you've been asked about it twice now. You've been asked right. about it twice and you didn't and you gave an I don't know last time and you can't give I don't know again because that would be rude or impolite or those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Um, so I, I agree with you. you know, when the question is asked, you will go. There is a. Um, uh, a norm very much so to to go and find you know to go and look for the answer and if the answer is then i don't know then so be it but it's 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 really really hard to hear the question where is that feeling and answer breakfast cereal yes <laughs> yeah. and where attention goes energy flows So by directing someone's attention to one thing in preference to another thing, you are directing their energy. So a coach who always directs the person's attention to what they want in preference to what they don't want is directing the person's energy to what they want as well as their attention. So... That's what's. I've, I've lost track of where, where the what the original question was. That's okay. But the the notion of what you're doing is not not influencing. You are influencing. You're influencing the person's attention and the person's energy, and directing them in specific ways. Mm. What you're not doing is trying to fix them. And what you're not doing, as far as possible, is introducing your own content as the facilitator. So I'm not sitting around going, oh, and, and when you're working at your best, it's like a river. Is that like um, the River Thames near me? Or is it more like uh, the, the Humber near you? Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm not introducing rivers. And I'm also not, um, and I'm being more led by you and your answers than by a formula. So I don't think I actually asked you any questions about the river apart from the very first one, because you'd said you didn't like that metaphor. And there was something else that you were talking about, which was about immersion. Yes. So although there were some moments at which I thought you were still talking about a river, I thought, let's, let's, let's leave those. Let's pay attention to some of the other pieces so you did at one point talk about sometimes I'm swimming, swimming with the flow and sometimes I'm swimming against it and, yeah. and sometimes I dive and sometimes I'm resting on the surface. So probably there was a river in the metaphor, but actually river was not the central focus of our, our inquiry at that point. No. You know, we might have gone on to talk more about river, but we might not. So I'm much more being led by... Um, you and what you are wanting and wanting to explore 
than by a book thing that says, oh, he said the word river. Let's keep going back to that. Yeah. So it's different levels of um, content imposition. You're trying not to impose content. You are trying to impose, you are imposing yes. the direction of energy through the direction of attention. And I guess that's back to the to, to one of the phrases that you opened up with, which is about precision inquiry. Mm. Mm. Okay. I'm really curious. This toshiness spectrum. Yes. <laughs> is there anything else about a toshiness spectrum? I want to know what this toshiness spectrum is like. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think that there's. Um... So, uh, well, so, so that's a tough question to answer. So I, I like spectrum as, as, a, as a general thing. I, I like spectrums as, as, as ways of exploring things. Um, and, uh, and and so on a Toshida spectrum, there's there's one end which is complete and utter Tosh and has no... Um, uh, either, and there's a mix of things. It could be no practical application. It could be no evidence base behind it, no foundation for it. And then um, at the other end of the spectrum, there is, I guess, the opposite of those things. Um, yeah, I, I I think I I like spectrums because they um, they give freedom to to say that you know it removes the binariness of it. So you know it's not it's not right or wrong or uh, correct or incorrect or black or white. It's the um, it's the the range of um, the range that can be in it because nothing is as simple as uh, clean or dirty, mm-hmm. or, you know. To to take if I, if I go with clean language, I know the there there is no there is no clean or or dirty. You know, so if we look at language as clean or dirty, I think that gives us an unhelpful binary mm. perspective on it. Yeah, and I, is... I hate the name clean language. By the way. I think it's a really, really unhelpful name for that for a thing which is much more interesting than that and more useful. Because yeah. Um, yeah. it's not it's not really about language either. It's about metaphor, and metaphor goes much deeper than language. The reason there's metaphor in our language is because there's metaphor in our thoughts. Yes. It's not, you know. The suggestion that this clean language also suge- is not only that there is, it suggests there's a perfect cleanness, but also suggests that there is a, a language focus to the thing. But actually, you can use clean language about clean language questions about all sorts of things. It doesn't have to be about words. You can use them about body movements and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, because and, and I was imagining as well as in the coaching and kind of team development uh, world. There could also be applications within the consulting perspective um, as well. You know, so in terms of, um, so one one of the things that uh, I get really interested in is is when I'm asked to do some consulting work, is exploring, you know, exploring the reality or the realities of of, of what's happening wherever you know wherever I'm being asked to work. So um, I can imagine it, using those questions to explore those. Um, 
that reality, those realities that are present for the different people that evolve would be a really interesting one. Indeed, you've got, you've got various applications in that kind of point. Um, this is one of the places where clean language has got academic support, by the way, just to, to pay attention to your Toshiness criteria. Yeah. Clean language is increasingly being used as a, um, as a methodology for academic interviewing. And James Lawley, who's one of the, the key people in the clean language world, has uh, established a, effectively a cleanness um, analysis tool. And if you're doing a, a, really? a research um, survey, he can run your questions through his analysis tool and tell you how clean you're being. That's really interesting. Which actually can be really handy in a whole bunch of situations. Um, but in the situation you describe, so you've got to, in a consulting situation, first you can use clean language to find out what it is the person potentially hiring you actually would like to have happen as a result of hiring you. Yes. Now, typically, that's a place where consulting projects go horribly wrong because you don't have a clear sense of what they want. You're too anxious to say, oh, what, what you have is a nail and what I've got is a hammer. Um, they, and, and they're anxious also for you to have a hammer for their nail. But really, yes. you never get to find out what the actual situation is that is causing them to ca call you in. So there's this whole piece of sort of clean scoping of what is the project that is required. And, and that in itself, because being asked clean language questions typically deepens the relationship between the client and the facilitator really, really quickly. Yeah, I can imagine. So it's very handy to ask your potential client clean language questions because although it's a little bit of a trick, it will make them feel that you understand them really well. And hence, they're potentially more likely to hire you. Once you've got the gig, then as you say, establishing current reality you're already in there using the questions to find out what's actually going on for people. And in the, in the same moment of doing that, you're building their relationship with you and potentially you're teaching them tools which can build the relationships within the organization you're going into. Yeah. So you're already doing it. You're already making the intervention in the bit where they think that you're just fact finding. Um, and, and, yeah. and then as it goes goes on maybe maybe you 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 know do your official report back and you say oh um well what you know what what i think we should do is this 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 and you you diagnose you you say right we should do some training or some some coaching and then you're again teaching people to use these questions is a way of teaching them to be more curious about each other and my colleague caitlin walker would say in the process, the system becomes aware of itself. What she means, well, I think what I understand her to mean by that. I was going to say, what do you mean by that? Yeah. What does she mean that, by that? Is that as people become more aware of each other and more aware of the interactions between people and more aware of the results of the interactions between people, they can start to direct attention in ways that potentially change that. Um, when an individual is being coached using clean language, 
stuff that just changes. Um, so the, the example I often use is a, a client I had recently who, um, he, his, his metaphorical landscape, he had, um, it was like there were blocks scattered all over a field. Okay. And I asked him questions about the, these different blocks. I suppose they must have been to do with different aspects of his career. Um, I was asking him about different blocks. And we've been going for about 15 minutes. And he suddenly went, oh! I said, what just happened? He said, oh, the blocks have picked themselves up and formed themselves into a staircase. Okay. And I asked him some questions about the staircase and the next thing that happened was a, a flaming portal opened up at the top of the staircase and he was able to go up the staircase, walk through the flaming portal and um, his his stuff was sorted. I know one of the downsides of being a clean language coach, you never really understand what they meant by the matter. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but the bit I wanted to share was the, the surprise, the sense of surprise when the metaphor yeah. changes, everything changes. Yeah. Something... To, Similar seems to happen when groups and teams really get using these questions and using their metaphors together. Um, at the very simplest level, they discover that, um, you know, one person in, is, uh, when they're working at their best, they're like an express train, and another person, when they're working at their best, they're like a butterfly. And now they understand why they're not um, quite seeing eye to eye. Um, but as it goes deeper, they can understand, well, what is it that the butterfly needs to be in place to be working at their best? Oh, they, they need the freedom to move from flower to flower. What yeah. is it the express train needs to be working at their best? Well, they need to be properly fueled and have a nice clear track to follow. And once you know that people need this stuff, oh, the butterfly can make sure that the track's in place and then they can float off. You know, it becomes much easier to work together when you know what people need. And until you start to get curious about your colleagues, you just don't know. And, and, and what I really like about that is the way that it, it empowers the individual to, to, to create those, um, those things and articulate those things for themselves as opposed to, um, you know, it being done as a result of completing a personality questionnaire or as a result of a, um, you know, doing a, uh, like a Belbin team roles thing, you know, so rather than putting your, rather than asking questions to then put yourself in a pre-described, predisposed, pre-described box, it's about you, know, you being empowered and enabled to create those explanations and distinctions for yourself mm. and it takes a lot less explanation than belbin or any of those things yeah absolutely and they, how many pages of uh, assessment is it for a belbin thing it goes on forever oh. and in order to understand your colleagues one you've got to read their so many pages as well as your own and <laughs> and so on and so forth whereas with a metaphor you know just one line when i'm working at my best i'm like a butterfly gives you yeah. so many clues because metaphor captures so much information in a very, very small package. Even though their butterfly will not be the same as my butterfly, we can have a sense of how butterflies are. We know what the metaphorical entailments of butterflies are and what yeah. are the metaphorical entailments of express trains. So we already, before we even start to talk about more detail on those things, we already have a general sense. 
Mm. Oh, it's been fascinating, Judy. I've really enjoyed it today. It's always good to talk about this stuff. I'm, I'm now clicking back through your toshiness criteria and thinking, <laughs> is there anything else we haven't covered in terms of t- toshiness criteria? We covered research. We've covered, um, uh, I think, I hope we've covered practical application. Yeah, so, yeah, we have, yeah. Was there another criterion? I think there was a third. Uh, there, there may have been, but I can't remember. What I'm really curious is what difference has this conversation made for you? For someone who came to the... And before we, we've had a previous conversation, but when you first came to Clean Language, which is only about a month ago we started talking on, on LinkedIn, I think it was... Yeah, it was, yeah. What difference, as having explored all of this stuff about clean language, what difference does it make? So it, it's it sparked a, a curiosity that wasn't there before. So I, I was, you know, I would I would wrinkle my nose up in disgust and turn away, um, you know, when, if, if, if I saw the words clean language in anything, I would just go, whatever, um, and, and turn around and walk away. So um, whereas... Uh, now you've got me really curious about um, about the 12 core questions and the additional 20, um, the work that both David Grove and James Lawley are doing. Um, yeah, because part, part of um, part of what I do is around, I, I will help organisations with some cultural diagnostic stuff. And, and I think I've got some, some really good what i what i'm i'm going to use inverted commas good questions um which i've you know a, again and when we, when you talk about the examples that you've got that you've shared with me today around what some of those 12 might be i can see that the questions that i've got have elements of those within them already um so in terms of the precision but broad so asking something that's that, that's precise but gives space and, and room to allow people to explore the use of um the um, interviewees or the, the 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 group's language as a way of, of, of kind of presenting that back to explore that in more detail and explore that in more depth so both in my work as a coach and a consultant as a facilitator you've really got my my curiosity peaked around what what else is there then you know and to go and find out more read more um and and just to go and uh, yeah yeah interrogate it more whereas and, and that's all i say that's almost it's not an almost that's a complete 180 from where i was before so you if you know if you'd have, if you'd have said where does clean language fit on your on your things that you want to go and investigate i'd have said it's not even on a list whereas now it's very much on that list and uh, and something i want to investigate quickly excellent i i, I rate that's a job done then <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, sorry, if, if, if you so when you have got a moment to to investigate it. Some directions I suggest on my yes, website, uh, uk. There is a free ebook, Your Clean Language Questions Answered. Fab, thank you. Um, which does indeed answer a lot of your clean language questions. Um, there will be so that that ebook is made up of uh, blog posts from uk. There are lots okay. of others on that website if you you know. It's a search function. You can find all sorts of stuff about clean language there, including. I'll put, I'll put a link to that in the. Um, I'll put a link to that in the uh, in the show notes as well. So if people want to go and find it, they can just open the show notes and they can click on it, and, and off it will go. I think that 
uh, ebook includes a list of recommended books, but the the very short list of recommended books. Um, you might enjoy the book I co-authored, which is Clean Language Revealing Metaphors and Opening Minds. Um, if you're working primarily with groups, there are two others to pay attention to. Um, Caitlin Walker's book, From Contempt to Curiosity, and it might sound a bit bizarre, but Julie McCracken's book, Clean Language in the Classroom. Um, okay. While it's, you know, the substance of the book is about uh, working with small children, most of what she does is also applicable to adults. And if people are coaches listening to this, then there is a book by Marion Way called Clean Approaches for Coaches, which is again, very excellent. Um, I've got various recorded courses online. Um, I've got a weekly newsletter, which brings out all sorts of stuff around all of this stuff. Um, David Grove's own materials, David unfortunately died about 10 years ago. So, um, Okay. He was uh, around before people were mass producing YouTubes and those kind of things. So there isn't a huge amount of David's own material out there. Um, it's much, most of it, most of what's usable is, uh, is recent work by other people. Um, Fab. Is there anything? Wonderful. Thank you. I'll, I'll make sure I find all those books um, and put the put links to them in the show notes. Uh, as well thank you thank you so um, <laughs> it has been fun so can i can i take your question and and kind of um play it back to you as well then so the question you asked me was what um uh, what was it remind me of the question you asked me my the original question no no the one you asked me right at the end so the what what was it what what different differences having explored all of this make okay good so for you judy what difference has exploring all of this made? Um, it's been interesting. It's always interesting to share it with somebody new and compare and contrast your experience of it with my experience of it. Um, yeah, it, it's good fun um, to talk about it and to think, well, well, yeah, I suppose it's about crafting the talking about clean land. Yeah. I, 10 years ago, I was as guilty as anybody of standing in the conference coffee area going, oh, clean language. Yes, clean language is about not influencing your clients. And it's just tosh. Tosh. <laughs> so over the last 10 years, I've got better and better and better, I hope, at uh, explaining why that's not true. And um, now I no longer feel guilty about saying it. You, it's not possible to be completely clean. And uh, what's interesting is what happens when you give it your best shot hmm. and what you then learn. And I think that's a brilliant note to end on. So thank you so much for your time today, Judy. Really, really appreciate it. Um, if people want to get hold of you, they can go to judyreese.co.uk or is it .com? .co.uk. Uh, .co.uk. Judy .com is a real estate agent in America. Uh, quite, <laughs> okay. quite easy to distinguish. <laughs> So, let, let, yeah, so judyreese.co.uk then we'll make sure that's really clear um, yeah thank you so much for your time Judy both today but also um, in the conversation that we've had in the past and for, for our interactions online and uh, I look forward to uh, chatting with you more as I go and explore uh, clean language even more enjoy it wonderful thanks Judy take care
You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast. Written, recorded and presented by Phil Wilcox. Edited together by Simon Leverton. You can find more information at emotionatwork.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at, at Phil Wilcox. Thanks for listening. Thank you.